Welcome to Strange Deer, your weekly podcast about the strange but true stories behind your favorite works of fiction. Hosted by Juliana Valente and Kay Cook. But yeah, so let's have some artificial created banter so when I fade in, no one has any idea that we haven't actually been conversing. We've just been waiting to go live and just laughing and make it funny. And I don't I don't know. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Strange Deer. That was probably one of the worst intros I've done in a while. But this is Kay. This is Juliana. And we're having some weird lag tonight. We have tried our best, God knows, to troubleshoot. But I'm going to chalk it up on a weird combo of weather and gremlins in the system. Um... So if, if things get blippy, uh, hopefully you'll still hear us fine, right? <laughs> I guess that's what we can hope for tonight. Um, so how was your week, Juliana? How are you doing? Uh, good week. There's a lot going on. I started um, rehearsals for August Osage County. Uh, I'm playing Karen. It's such a great work. Um, I'm so excited to do it. It's the darkest maybe thing that I've done since Venus and Fur. I haven't read uh, this thing since really college. I haven't read it since college. I need to revisit. I'm excited for you though. And it we're both on the kind of that starting things out world. Cause I'm, I mean, I've been doing woods quote unquote since June when we all first met, but like we're actually starting to stage now since this thing opens in six weeks. Uh, yeah. Even sometimes into the woods. Into the woods, um, which I was saying to you before we started recording here, I, I mean, Duh, it's a large show. Everybody knows it's a big show. It's Sondheim being his most Sondheimiest. But um, it occurred to me because I the first time I ever did this show, I played Rapunzel. Um, I mean, I, I was part of the story, obviously, but I was certainly not as central as the baker is. So I'm sort of discovering the work in a new way. Um, yes. Yeah, And it's fun to come back to a show 10 years later. I mean, have you ever had a piece that you came back to so much further away from it, Juliana? I've been able to do a couple of s scenes that way. I was able to to perform a scene from a work I had done a year earlier with the same director and um, uh, castmate. Um, that was interesting because we had both, uh, you know, had been a year apart, hadn't really communicated, but we came back to the roles with a little bit more maturity um, and perspective in them. So that was really cool. And there are certain plays that I've worked um, in class, like acting class, where I've played different roles in them. And that, again, is, a, is an interesting thing because you don't, when you're fully immersed in one character, um, you're not so much trying to figure out what's going on in the other characters in her life. So right. it is almost like a new work. Yeah. Right. Oh, God, it totally is here. Because I was like, well, the baker's sort of in the middle of everything. And there, I don't think there's anybody I don't at least briefly touch um reach out and touch ooh la la uh but yeah that this is story <laughs> well you know and my wife does also reach out, reach out and touch other people too so it's fun uh we have that kind of relationship going on but actually speaking of female characters i guess there are worse ways i could transition here uh cuz tonight we're doing <laughs> We are doing the companion to last week's episode about uh, three male characters from fiction that um, we each picked three that were particularly relevant yeah. to us. So uh, where there must be boys, there, of course, must be ladies. And in fact, ladies are sort of <laughs> our wheelhouse. Um, so that that should be fun to explore as a as a as a companion piece. Um, but first, as per always, we need to. 
Yes, so my first lady, you know, this was really hard to break down was because um, as a as an actor and consumer of fiction, right. um, it's really overwhelming to think like, is this a character I want to play? Is uh, am I talking about just like one I enjoy reading about? So I, for my first, my first female character is a combination of all of those things. Um, and you cannot, I, I thought I'd just start right at the top with a villain. Because you know okay. I love villains. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. This is the biggest and baddest of them all. And the top of my bucket list, Lady Macbeth. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, 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 we did a thing. Okay, we didn't quite do the thing I was afraid of last week. But but you go. Go, 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 go. Well, and it's not just her. I thought, you know, um, okay, sure. That's, that's um, maybe predictable. So... You know, yeah. we talked a little bit about tropes and where yeah. we can see these um, characters, especially if they're from classical and classic literature, uh, how they can trickle down. So I, I prefer um, the, the, the modern iteration of Lady Macbeth that I am the most obsessed with right now is Cersei Lannister uh, of Game of Thrones. Uh, I don't know if we should give away or not, but you don't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> well. um, she is a most magnificent Lady Macbeth character. Um, yeah, I don't know what else, what else to say about her. She is um, big and bad, and just when you think that she has reached um, a stage of deplorable behavior, she will up the ante um yeah it's always you know she is fully loving um to family members until they make her mad enough yeah true enough true enough what is it specifically about villains that that gets to you what 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 like a really good well-drawn villain what would you what are you looking for the, the a really well-drawn villain has the progression from uh of uh protagonist to villain so we get to see their story of how they became how they are so usually you know like in the when you go to therapy and you sit down and and you discover like do you remember discovering for the first time all of your weaknesses are actually just strengths in the reverse and the other way around um like when you get to see like the the why the villain is so good at being a villain is because this kernel of something that's actually a really great character mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and and tendency within them that's blown up to the level of like obsession um, and and of course the villain is not a villain to themselves the villain is always the hero of their own narrative to trot to trot that little cliche out but i mean yes. sometimes yeah. the function of the villain yeah. is just to be uh to, is to revel in the badness but yeah. most of the you know yeah. you're really great villains um, have a reason. And what's, you know, it's, it's cool about a Shakespearean, um, type villain is there is a little bit of room, um, to study and to, you know, to fill in some blanks, um, there, but in the case of, uh, Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, um, you're given a lot of backstory. So in the case of Cersei Lannister, we can kind of see that she, um, she was a bad little girl. <laughs> who bad things happen to. Um, so so there. you get this really so crazy. 
evolution. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Cool. Yeah. I'm just, cool. just curious. We, I don't think we've ever, I think we've talked about, and we need to, this is going to be something we're getting into, I think in season two at some point. I love having episodes where they jog my memory of other things we want to talk about. Heroes and villains. We wanted to do kind of a two-parter talking about those bits. So I think we need to be uh, revisiting this idea soon. Um, I, as I was thinking about my first character and I was thinking about female characters that had a, that meant a lot to me when I was a kid, I started to sort of discover a, a, a bit of a, sadly, a bit of a dearth for me when I was little. Um, cause I never really, I've said this before on the show. I never really connected to the princess type. I wasn't super fascinated by a lot of, a lot of the way women were portrayed in quote unquote older literature to me. It, it just didn't, I, I didn't. I didn't love females that were just there to kind of either be arm candy or not have kind of their own agency. Um, so as I was looking, actually, even before picking my first character, the ones that came to my mind first, I was like, wow, I definitely have a very strong type. And that's women who are like, I'm going to control this room for myself. Maybe, maybe there is some villain love for me in that way, because a lot of times, you know, the, the female villain has, has sort of taken the reins, if you will. Um, so when I was picking my first character, it actually wound up sort of being a tie, but I went into the world of William Shakespeare too, Super. uh, because I've always really loved Beatrice in Much Ado About Nothing. And I actually got to do, I haven't gotten to do the show, but I got to do a couple scenes and the, the back and forth between Beatrice and Benedict is just one of my favorite things in, in all of Shakespeare. Um, because she's yeah. sort of. She goes toe to toe. She was. She's unapologetic. I mean, they do wind up getting together. It's yeah, a great role together. for you. Yeah. Now that I think about I, it, I'd like to see you. Do I, it. I love. I. I just. I've always loved that character. And th bringing in coming coming in at a number two is somebody else I always wanted to play, and that'd be Katharina in Taming of the Shrew, uh, or Catherine, or actually, let me be honest, it's not necessarily Shakespeare that I want to do so much as Kiss Me Kate. I know there are people who don't like Kiss Me Kate. Um, we talked in our live show. Yeah, I know. But I personally, I know uh, that occurred to me too. So go back and see that video. We'll link down there. Yeah. Hey, look, guys, if you like this episode, we haven't done with <laughs> This does have a companion now. But um, uh, because, you know, there's, there's, and I would say justly a lot of criticism on Taming of the Shrew for possibly being a bit misogynistic and like, gee. Um, but. <laughs> I love Kiss Me Kate because it takes that aspect of it. And I also am a sucker for behind the scenes stuff. But I think Lily Vanessi kind of corrects a lot of the uh, the things. Like when you see what's going on in her life and you see how Fred, who's playing Petruchio, is also a bit of a hot mess. Like, I, I just think it's a great it's a great kind of turning the mirror around. So if we're talking about straight up Shakespeare, I've always wanted to play Beatrice and much do about nothing. And if we're talking little little left of center, which is how I always take these. Um, I'm still dying to play Lily Vanessi and Kiss Me Kate sometime. That's just the way I roll. <laughs> Great. Hey there. So if you are new to Strange Deer, this is maybe your first encounter with us. We invite you to join our community here to subscribe hit the button down below, subscribe and hit the bell to be notified whenever we drop a new episode, which is every week. We often also drop new content throughout the week. We have a live show on Thursday or Friday nights. Uh, recently it's been Friday. 
You can reach out to us at Strange Deer on social media, Instagram, we have a Facebook page, Tumblr, Twitter. We're at Strange Deer. So come and see us sometime. Those kind of characters. I took a hard left-hand turn <clears throat> when I hit junior high school. Uh, and I started to really fall in passionate love with this, you know, the mythology of a protector type character. And I very quickly okay. realized that like, you know, or like the hero, obviously I've got a bit of a, a superhero flair to me. I love comic books, but one of the things that there really wasn't a ton of, um, and certainly wasn't quite in my junior high school brain at the time. Um, I am of the right age to have really passionately fallen in love with Buffy the Vampire Slayer when I was in junior high school. And I, what I loved, yes, <laughs> we've never talked about Buffy, I don't think, on this on this program. So funny. Uh, but we need to call that. There are so many layers of, of Buffy, but it, trying to keep it just from the, the standpoint of your protagonist and your main character here, because in brief, the evolution of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Joss Whedon had this idea of the cheerleader girl who gets chased down the alley like in a horror movie. And not only is she not the victim, she turns around and kicks the bad guy's butt. Um, and the thing is, and then he married it with a very smart kind of old type mythology where you've got the Slayer has gone through history, through time. And I... I just, I was so deeply fascinated by, and it's probably why all other vampire lore sort of, forgive the pun, pales beside Buffy for me, because <laughs> I did that. I went there. It's all right. Everybody groan, and we'll get back to it in three, two, one. Um, because it had such a strong central female character who does not have all of her shit together. I'll be bleeping that later as well. Um, but still somehow manages to save the world week after week. And it's also, I could go on a rant about, you know, the style that Joss Whedon brought to the show and the writing. He wound up sort of in a way revolutionizing almost the way our generation talked to an extent because there was like, there was shorthand for things. And there was like, I just, I passionately fell in love with Buffy. And as I started to, it's one of those things where sometimes you need a modern adaptation to get people to look backwards in history to find other things in books. So it was after I discovered Buffy that I then was rolling backwards. And I also remember kind of, this isn't a fictional character, but like I, I started being interested in things like Joan of Arc and like all of the, the things that have stretched through that, you know, were referenced overtly or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like a central pivot point for me, even though I was many, many, many years away from going to my women's college and becoming very, very feministy. I know anybody who's seen even two minutes of this show, they know. Um, Buffy kind of started <laughs> things going for me. So if I'm talking about a character, fictional character, I can't, I can't not mention Buffy and give a hard shout out to Joss Whedon because um, he put that out there and he made a really damn fine piece that I still think stands up. We don't need to remake it. <clears throat> that was me getting on a box for a second. Uh, <laughs> so where'd you go for number two? Way, way far away from Buffy, I'm sure, because I landed squarely in the late 90s by doing that. <laughs> I, I apologize. Sorry, not sorry. I'm back in 1844. Um, We're on brand. It's all good. 
<laughs> Edgar Allan Poe, we know from an episode earlier this year um, that we, we both recognize how important he is, how important he is to, to the crime and, and gothic genre, but also how important he is to us. Um, as a as an author and creator, probably my very favorite um, Edgar Allan Poe piece is this short story called Rappuccini's Daughter. And it's the first story I remember being like, I love this story, um, as far as short stories go. Are you familiar with it at all? I, I saw a look of like, huh? Vaguely. The name rang a bell, but I can tell you I know I haven't read it. It's a lovely short story, easy read, and I encourage our audience uh, and you, I got home. I'm sure it's in public domain um, by now. Here's the short story. Rappuccini is like this mad scientist, or more specifically, a botanist. Uh, He has these mysterious, exotic um, plants, and he also has a daughter named Beatrice, interestingly. Um, There we go who is not permitted to leave the garden um, of poisonous plants. And there's a student who falls in love with her from afar. And spoiler alert, Beatrice has become poisonous herself from being with the plants. Um, Giovanni uh, receives an antidote because he's in love with her. He gives her the antidote um, for the poison, and it actually kills her. Her. Oh. Lovely, delightful little rose. Little piece. Awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> delightful little star. Yay. Yeah, uh, you know, I am not the only one who is fascinated by this character of Beatrice. And I guess it's not necessarily like, oh, that's the role I want to play. And like, I'm super interested in um, her yeah. as much as her story. Yeah. Right, right, right. And the right, right, right. And the trope that she represents. I mean, just like the psychological layers of all you know, to unpack yeah. all of that is well, so yeah. interesting I mean, to me. I mean, my first thing that I kind of was responding to in that I was like, Oh, you mean every dad with a teenage daughter's wish that he <laughs> his daughter could, you know, literally he couldn't possibly she can't date. <laughs> yeah. Part of my emotional development that stopped at around 15 or 16. <laughs> sure. And this is that part, um, okay. the, my Rappuccini's daughter part. But I'm not the Got only it. one who loves the story. It's been turned into operas and plays. Um, there have been um, radio um, performances of it and television. Uh, Vincent Price has a this twice told twice. tales. It's twice, yes. I don't know. Yeah. I know. Inside joke. It's not inside my head, but I know it's inside your head. Um, But this character also inspired uh, DC Comics Poison Ivy. Yeah. Uh, And then also, if you're in more of a Marvel person, you probably know Monica Rappuccini, who's um, a a villainess herself. Uh, She's a biochemical genius. And um, she has a daughter, Carmilla Black, who's actually more similar to to Beatrice. Um, So... There she is, my number two most fascinating female character, Rappuccini's daughter. So I must say Friday nights are going well for us uh, as our live drop, and I have to thank everybody. We love you guys. Our Friday night gang is We're a party. like ready to party. We have some great interactions 
for um, people telling us their favorite male characters, oh, yeah. um, getting people thinking that way. And thank you so much um, for, for joining in and later or live. And, and our feedback, I think it's our, our, our uh, viewers, listeners, however you consume the show, gave us feedback on male characters from everyone from Pa Ingalls to Cookie Monster. So thank you guys for that. Uh, I can't imagine who gave Cookie Monster <laughs> as a feedback person. But uh, no, it's awesome to see all you guys on Friday nights. And so we're going to continue to do it as long as we're not on stage. And please, you know, join us when you can. And we're just going to have a conversation. And as always, we just want to emphasize that, you know... The live show is to drop an episode. It's not, that's not the show itself. Like that <laughs> strange deer is not a random 15 minutes every Friday night where I'm on the lanai and Juliana is somewhere in her house. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're going to keep doing it Friday night today, 30, come join us. And then, you know, click right on. Cause we're also going to make sure the link is right there for you. So you can start watching right away. Like actually, you know what? That's a user feature. For those of you who join us live on Friday, you can get the episode a half hour early because it's technically still yeah. an unlisted link until 9 PM. But, yeah. but um, yes, please keep joining us. We're having a great time. I'm excited. Uh, Do I go forced on this one? Forced? Forced? What? I said I'm, I was trying to say, do I go first on this one? I uh, you will go forced and first. May the force may the force be with you. Go, Juliana. What is your third character? <laughs> Number three, Kimmy Schmidt. Oh my gosh, Packing is gonna love you. My husband is in love with Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, you and, and a few of our, our uh, uh, fans <laughs> know I'm obsessed with Titus uh, from the Slightly. show. Titus. Rabbit trail. Titus. Strange Deer okay. rabbit trail. When we were doing a new brain a year ago, Juliana put a special p poster backstage to remind us to be quiet. And it might have been Titus. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, I didn't have enough clout with the cast to ask them to be quiet all the time. But Titus, Titus and David Bowie, I, I will never forget that. It's it's also mind blowing. It's been a year since we did that. But anyway, Titus and Kimmy Schmidt, go 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 gadget. Oh yeah. So anyway, I just think it's a brilliant character. Um, Ellie. Uh, Ellie Kemper. Her name. Kemper did a brilliant job creating this character. Um, of course, Tina Fey oh, um, is just perfection as far as our generation's comic genius Correct. in creating this and many other shows. But particularly this character is so likable and lovable. And as an actor, can we just have a brief acting <laughs> lesson? Yeah. <laughs> it's so great to know. Like, on the surface, you could say, you know, you would, you might think, oh, Ellie Kemper's playing um, a blonde, uh, like a, a, a dance, mm. right? Um, but the, an acting lesson that we can take away from watching the show is that um, even when someone is uh, ditzy or like a few steps behind, you don't play what you don't right. know, right? It's so, so frequently, even as intelligent characters, you know, we think, we, we tend to play, well, she doesn't know that he actually, then don't play. Yeah, exactly. You don't <laughs> and you can't play airheaded or you can't play out of touch. Got it. Right? That's not a thing. That's not an action that we as actors play. Um, you can play like, 
you are just a very confusing person or um, you have no idea what you're talking about, do you? And, she, and Ellie Kemper's just is perfection when it comes to playing that character in a likable way. And we never get frustrated with her. We're, we're always on her side um, for the most part. Yeah. yeah. Give, us, give us Kimmy's um, bio in brief. What's her story for any, anybody who's like, hey, I want to check the show out. If you don't know. Hey, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to help get more eyeballs on the show. I, I got you. Okay, so Kimmy uh, has been uh, locked in a bunker for with other young women, and young, uh, older women. She's been locked in a bunker with women um, uh, by a cult leader uh, for several years. So she's been underground in a bunker with, like, no TV, uh, radio. So she, in her head, she's like this 11-year-old girl in the 90s right. um, who... You know, so some of, some of the plot points are fish out of water right. type exactly. story. Wow. Um, but she's got an innocent love for the world around her. She's very optimistic, very positive. Um, and just the show itself, all of the other characters in her life are so beautifully uh, crafted to work with that, that character type. Um, I love watching what Ellie Kemper does with this character, uh, and I love this character, and I um, I love the show. I would say so. It's kind of similar to Buffy, where I appreciate so much about oh, the show. Oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because you've got a character who could easily be a cliche or a caricature, and you put that character in the right hands with the right actor. And it's not even close to that. Like, you know, I, I, I feel like, not to totally pull back to Buffy for a hot second, but Sarah Michelle Gellar also brought so much to Buffy to make her... Because also there was a first draft of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There was the movie version that happened first, which yeah. no, literally nothing to do with the TV series. I had a friend who was once trying to, you know, convince me that they were connected. I was like, no, dude, there's, there's nothing... <laughs> um, there was the popcorn movie version, and then there was, you know sitting the show down and taking it seriously and still having fun, totally having fun. Um, but yeah, you know, put, put those cliche or at least surface looking cliche characters in the right hands. It's not a caricature. It's a really fully formed character and we can laugh and go, I know that person. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So from, and, and you know, a lot of the cast, like um, not only Ellie Kemper, but um, Jane Krakowski, those roles were created with those actresses in mind. And I don't know if you ever saw Ellie Kemper when she came late in the office, uh, late in the, the run. She, like when Pam got promoted to office manager or promoted herself to office manager, um, Ellie Kemper's character came on as like the receptionist. And played a similar role, but again, kind of the classic dick. And the reason I point this out as an acting thing is that there are a lot of roles like that, and they're great fun. But you can't play dumb. No. Nobody, it, nobody sits and be, is, is like, you know, like, oh, I'm so, I don't get it because I'm dumb. But, you know, we don't get things because we, we think you're crazy and like we think you're confused. Right, and, right, 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 right. right. No, absolutely. The only her work in the office, you can see that this is that that now. Um, uh, Kimmy is similar to yeah. that, um, but just a lot brighter. Yeah, the you know, only cast member from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt I was familiar with before was Titus Burgess, and I'm really only familiar with Titus because I 
adored Jersey Boys, and he was in that original cast, but he was such a small part. Like, you barely saw any of, like, first of all, let's be honest, the boy can hit higher notes than some women, uh, but he, there was so little opportunity for him to really flex his comic chops in Jersey Boys. Like, it's like, I know what he's a little of, uh, he did a little bit on 30 Rock. I think that's where he got uh, first. Yeah, no, uh, but, uh, that, uh, that, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, for a third choice, Kimmy Schmidt, I love it. I love it. Also, my friend Jen guested on Kimmy Schmidt once upon a time. Uh, Jen Ponton, shout out. Um, she got to play a girl who was down a well and her only friends were sandwiches. Uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, and mole women. You know, if, yes, you know, yes. if, you, if, if you've ever seen the yes. show, uh, the 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 women that were down in the bunker are called mole women. Oh my god! Oh my god! So, Great. I'm trying to think of any way I can tie my third character in, and maybe the 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 route I can take in is the actress to the role. Um, because for my third role, for my third character, it was I was. This was just ahead of me discovering Buffy, so maybe I could have flip-flopped them. But um, my first time I ever experienced the fantastic (laughs) Kate Mulgrew was on Star Trek Voyager as Captain Catherine Janeway. And I know a lot of people now know Kate Mulgrew from Orange is the New Black, but um, I... I'll just put this right out there. You know, I love Star Trek. I've said this endlessly on this show. We never had a female captain. Captain Janeway was our first one in. And it kind of, you know, I guess there was some Star Trek fatigue setting in by the time Star Trek Voyager happened. Um, and people were kind of like, oh, of course, now the captain's a woman and we're rotating all the expected roles and yada, da 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 da. So actually, Captain Janeway wasn't originally Kate Mulgrew when she was cast. Uh, it was an actress by the name of Genevieve Bujold who brought something totally different to the role. Um, and, uh, they basically filmed about the pilot and it was pretty clear it wasn't going to work out. And they brought in good old... Kate Mulgrew, and actually the character wasn't named Catherine until Kate Mulgrew came on board. Um, They changed a whole lot of things around, but Captain Janeway, in brief, is tasked with bringing her crew home after having gone through an accident and been tossed all the way to the far end of the galaxy. And she kind of has to, well, first of all, she she wins my heart in the very first episode when... um, you know, she arrives on br- on the bridge and somebody for, you know, she's mammed almost right away. And she's like, um, you know, ma'am will work in a crunch, but right now it's, it's captain. Like, you know, just keep it straight. And it was like, it was going to be clear that she wasn't going to put up with um, being soft pedaled to like, I just, I, I loved and we, you know, when we went to our first gothic feminism episode, Juliana, I know I brought um, Captain Janeway into the room. Uh, if just because yeah. we were talking about, um, you know, women in authority roles and how it's interesting for us in our generation, because we sort of grew up with, you know, the RBGs in the room already and knowing that women could have these positions of authority. Um, so I guess for me, I didn't quite entirely get what a big deal it was to have a captain uh, and a Starfleet vessel initially. I was just like, of course it's a female captain. Why wouldn't there be? But the longer, you know, the show went on and the more I just sort of came to adore this character, the more I went, no, 
there's absolutely no reason you can't have a woman not only in the same space with the boys club, but leading it better than the boys. <laughs> so there you go. I, I, so we've got, again, we've got a motley crew of characters hanging out here, but between, <laughs> I think between all this time, I wouldn't say it was, would be a weird dinner party. I think it would be a kick-ass dinner party. It would. Yes. I, all of the dinner parties would be great. Yes. I have no problem with any of our guests. No, as long as we get to see Maybe Cersei Lannister. I'm not sure what we're serving, but uh, I do feel like we'll be protected in case vampires crash the party or we have a nebula appear in the middle of the sky and we have to, you know, avoid it. So blank right now. Um, what have I been on? That, that's, that's a broader statement. Um, oh, oh, yeah, I got one. You got one? You go first and I'll follow then, because otherwise this segment is going to turn into what is making me perfectly normal this week, and that would not be interesting at all. Okay. What is making me strange this week is actually, uh, I have to give a shout out to, uh, Dr. Mike, mm-hmm. uh, of who who recommended oh i know you guys uh, were texting back and forth yes 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 i know yeah watching cnn's original series the history of comedy and this is like one of those things like as you're watching it you're like why didn't i know about this before i'm so excited this is about on this. hulu so my jam. you can see it on hulu so, now right so we're sending people yeah, to the right yeah. i got it on hulu i imagine one could get it on CNN, um, if you have, like, a, if you subscribe and you go online. Got it, got it, got it. Well, um, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, if you're if you're an actor who does comedy, this is important. And you know I have deep love in my heart for stand-up uh, comedians and what they do. So um, this is most enjoyable. Um, so well done. Uh, and just a really beautiful curation of some wonderful moments and scary moments and important moments uh, in comedy. Uh, most of the comics, most, you know, they're really kind of focusing on stand up comedians. Many of these comedians made it to film and TV, um, a radio, uh, and, you know, some are older than that. But it's just a really great perspective that I'm learning a lot. Uh, I'm reminded of a lot of things I haven't thought about in a long time either. Yeah, and it's interesting that you're in the stand-up place now because, as we know, like about a month ago, all I could talk about was that I was watching Oh Hello and John Mulaney and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I was in a watching stand-up comedy as a, like a unplug my brain kind of way after work or whatever I was doing. Um, but what is, I guess, making me strange this week isn't necessarily all that strange. And it's also kind of almost just a thank you note. Um, I, I have mentioned to people I've recently picked, we've recently picked up a roommate here in our house. Um, my very good friend, Mark Christopher has finally made the jump from the Albany theater scene to down here to New York. Um, and he's, I, I just, I've been a fan of this kid for 10 kid. God, Mark, I'm sorry. You're going to watch this later and smack me and you can walk right over to my room and do it. But, uh, when I met Mark in 2007, we were doing our first kind of summer theater proper together we were doing a show on top of a show on top of a show and i've just always really believed in him hardcore and he's always kind of brought out the best in me so bless this boy for basically saying to me on labor day 
you sing a lot. We need to start recording our stuff and doing things again. And you need to update your website. And like, he's putting the fire back under me in a way that's going to be super necessary moving forward in the next six months of my scheme. Not that it wasn't yeah. on my list, but he's literally one of those taking the excuses away from me. And we laughed at each other because he was, his intention was just to record me singing. And I said, well, you record something too. So, and he was dragging his heels. So we're going to be really good for each other. So I guess I would just say to people, if you've got that person in your life, you know, use them freaking, you know, yeah. keep keeping the accountability going, pull each other up. Like he came, he came in today and he was like, I bombed an audition for, for the amusement park, wherever I was working. And I was like, but you went. And, you know, it's it having that person there to keep you accountable in whatever your field is. If you're not an actor, maybe you've got a coworker who just really helps kind of put a perspective on things, a really good friend who, you know, the kind of friend I kind of delineate on friends because they're also, they're the kind of friendships who you don't want to say anything to offend them or anything. And then they're the kind of friends who kind of call you out on your BS and the ones. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we need a healthy balance of both in your life. So yeah. whatever it might be, you know, with that person, embrace having that person, maybe not physically if they're dating someone else, but you know, whatever works for you, whatever your relationship is. <laughs> what makes me strange is how I close this thing too. Okay. Exit. Exit. Where's the outro? So that's kind of it for us. We had we had six wonderful female characters come into the room with us tonight. Um, so is there anything we want to? Oh, oh, I know what we can talk about, Juliana. We we really had a sit down meeting about season two, and I'm getting excited. Yeah, so season two is not just going to be another uh, release of more in-studio episodes, but you're also going to see a little bit of um, tweaking, updating of our branding. We're getting a little cleaner. We're owning fully that we are theater folks. Yeah, and... And I guess we're also, yeah, we're structuring the episodes in such a way as to really lean into the theater angle as well. Like, we've had some really productive meetings, and I'm excited. So you might see... You know, even within the design of this episode, okay, editing in post, um, you might see, starting to hint at some things that are going to be going down. We've got one more week of our on the road happening here still yet, because I've yes. got a very specific... Yeah. excited. Season two is not happening just yet. Not quite yet. yet, no, but we are going to be turning the corner into fall, like I said last week too. Um, but before we completely say goodbye to fall, we've got a, I've got a challenge from a dear theater friend of ours who I'm going to put on the table. We brought plays into the room this past summer. So I think before we say goodbye to our little on the road summer series, we need to bring the musicals into. Uh, so that'll be next week. But um, for now, uh, be looking for all sorts of new things. Join us Friday night and stay strange, dear. Namaste right here. That was awkward. I've been trying to call myself out.